You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Well, good morning and welcome to Royal Ascot. Day one, it is Tuesday the 20th of June. It's grey, it's overcast, it's warm. There have been just shy of 10 millimetres of rain since midnight, the first meaningful rain that's fallen in Britain for many weeks. But I am reassured by those here at Ascot that that is pretty much the size of what we can expect for the rest of the week. I welcome you paddock side to the Royal Racecourse ahead of the most eagerly anticipated five days of flat racing in the calendar. Uh, David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror, is alongside me, David. It's good to have you here in person on the pod as we kick off day one. It's great to be here, Nick. Um, I'm really excited about this week. There are so many different stories, so many different human interest, equine interest threads, aren't there, that will be interwoven over the next five days. Tom and, and Lee covered a couple of them yesterday, the, the new king, the outgoing king of the weighing room in, in Frankie de Tory. As you say, we've had just shy of 10 millimetres of rain. That'll be interesting to see what impact that makes on the, the Trushan saga for the Gold Cup on Thursday, won't it? It will. Uh, yesterday, Alan King, we spoke to him last week on the podcast, yesterday he reiterated what he pretty well always says coming up to a big race with, with this horse, Trushan, who's still officially the highest rated horse still in the in the Gold Cup. And he said, we'll declare and we'll see if there's enough frame. And I don't think really anyone can have too many complaints with that. Now they know what they're going to get with this. If it's unsuitably quick ground, the horse won't run. He's defected from the last two runnings of the Gold Cup here at Royal Ascot. I mean, what, what, would, the, what would the ground be Thursday with 10 millimetres of rain uh, Monday into Tuesday about good? He'll need more rain. There's no doubt about that in, in order to run. I, I had a walk out onto the onto the straight course a little earlier on and, and there's no way that rain had meaningfully got in on the on the straight. Now, it might have gone in a little bit on the round, but with a couple of drying days. One thing that we should say, as of this morning though, that it's, the air is extremely heavy and mm. there is a lot of grey cloud overhead. If we were playing cricket in the paddock here right now nick you'd be ben it, you'd be bending it around like a banana even a military medium old bedfordshire schools workhorse like myself would fancy himself to get a bit of swing out of these conditions now one man who doesn't fancy conditions like this is wesley ward uh, i caught up with him just a moment ago out on the track what are you gonna do you know you can't uh, some things you can't change but uh it's it it's that the, the grass is beautiful i'll tell you that right now you couldn't you couldn't fit another blade in there it's so so thick so it's uh, we're, we're we're really happy to be here and we're still starting on good to firm ground i think so it, it should be it should be fine for you shouldn't it uh, we hope uh, when i when i got here at seven it was coming down like uh, the heavens open so we'll see what the what the what they listed as are you are you happy with the condition of your horses we know every year you go somewhere a bit different what's training at chelmsford giving you this year you know, I tell you, John Holmes and, and his family and his staff and his crew that he has there are just great. You know, we get off the plane there at Stansted, and it's only a 20-minute ride down from uh, the airport to the track, and they check right into the stalls. And uh, I was there that evening when they when they got in. It was, you know, they shipped in very well. And then the next morning, you just thought they were there at Keeneland at their home base because they, they looked fantastic. And then it's uh, sort of like a, the same as a America where you're training on a racetrack is, instead of a 
a yard here that they have here. So the horses are just very, very familiar with all this and mm. it just seems to work out perfect. So was that actually the thinking this year? Maybe you actually just wanted to keep them training basically the same way? Yes, and, and John opened up the grass course for us, so we were able to train each and every day on the grass, and the grass is beautiful there, so we're very happy. Who's trained best since they've been here of yours? Um, you know, they've all trained very well. Uh, American Rascal, you know, he's, he's got such a, a big following, and, and we have big high hopes for him, so yeah, I tell you, he's, he's just trained great, and he's doing wonderful. I was interested in the interview you did on my Sunday show the other day with Nick Lightfoot when you said he doesn't have to blast from the, from the gate. You know, people just expecting your horses to wire the field, but you say he, he's a lot more tactically adaptable than that. He is, and um, he has a rider on Joel Rosario that's won this race for me, the, Nor- the Norfolk twice. Um, once with Shang Shang Shang, a filly that went wire to wire, and the other with Noni Never, of which uh, he took back a little bit and, and made a run. So I would sort of think that we'll employ similar tactics where we kind of let him break and ease him back and then the last uh, quarter of a mile kind of start easing up there for the last uh, little bit of the finish. What about Twilight Gleaming today in the King Stand? That would be a massive result and I'm guessing it must be quite nice not to feel too much pressure because nobody really seems to seems to be talking about Twilight Gleaming. No, no, she's a little bit long odds and it'll kick the show off for, for Barbara Banky and her team and um, you know, she's been training very well at home. We're excited about this race. She just jogged here on the course beautifully. You know, uh, wasn't nervous at all. Um, so I, I think we'll have a really good showing with her. How much more does she need to improve, in your opinion, to really trouble the, the market principles here? Well, we're here at Royal Ascot. We're in the King's Stand. And, um, you know, it's, it's certainly a, uh, the toughest sprint, five furlong sprint race in the world that I've seen and I've been in, 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 with. So, uh, you know, she's really going to have to step her game up. Um, but, but she's on the top of her game right now. And is there anything about this particular test that you think will suit her? Um, no, I think she's, you know, she's, she's was second here in the Queen Mary. So, obviously, she likes the course. Uh, she's a seasoned traveler where she came back from that race in Deauville. And she won with Frankie up in a listed race. So, she knows a straight course. Uh, she's had 10 starts, 6 wins. So, she's certainly a winner and knows how to win. Uh, it's just, you know, it's, uh, we got to be in front at the line. All right, Wesley, best of luck. Thank you so much. Well, Wesley Ward, they're philosophical about the rain. Is there a horse today, Tuesday, David, whose chance is significantly enhanced by uh, a fairly heavy shower, do you think? Interesting that you touched upon this because this is the the, the quandary that a lot of print tipsters find themselves in when you're, you're doing your selections in the first half of the previous day and you're trying to second guess what's going to happen with the weather. One horse that I thought would have been really interesting on fast ground and in the end I bottled out of it because I thought that the rain was going to come was Twilight Calls, second in the Kingstand Stakes last year. A couple of disappointments on rain softened ground this season but on quicker ground it certainly wouldn't surprise me uh, to see Twilight Calls run well at a decent price but how many horses will be adversely affected if you like by rain softened ground? Well there's one horse that we we know will not be that is Chaldean uh, the current favorite Frankie de Torres Mount in the St James's Palace Stakes at 420 we know that anyone who was at Newmarket on Coronation Day uh, will have known that it it was really one of the most incessant days raining uh, rain that you could uh, you could witness uh, a day at the races and the ground was soft and obviously it would not inconvenience him inconvenience him whatsoever others another horse in that race who was second in the uh, Pool de Say de Poulain Isaac Shelby he won on 
uh, softer ground at Newbury, but of course was a, a, a quicker ground winner earlier in his career. So he's not cheesy. But if there's one horse who won't be adversely affected by it, yeah, it would be Frankie and Chaldean. And it seems that Charlie Hills, when we spoke to him last week, wouldn't have minded a bit of rain for Cicero's gift or particularly Galler on the outsider. Certainly true with Cicero's gift that um, his turf wins have been with give in the ground. And again, uh, going into... Uh, today's racing doing the tips yesterday I was thinking right well how's it going to work out for um, for Cicero's gift but certainly as you say Charlie Hills has gone on record quite understandably um, saying that he wouldn't mind a bit of rain well he's got a centimetre to be going on with here talk about the the curtain raiser to this meeting and how it might set the tone for the whole week you've got Godolphin Gosden Tory, Moore Straight Mile here um some of the most high-profile horses in training. How do you see it panning out? Well, my idea of the winner, first of all, is modern games. Um, one thing that I think everyone in racing, uh, with the possible exception of Frankie de Torre's colleagues in the weighing room, we would like a... We, we, we've sailed through some turbulent waters over the last few uh, weeks and months, and we know that they haven't finished yet. And one thing that all of us would long for is a successful week for de Torre. And if in Spiral, who of course made such a, such a sensational return to action in the Coronation States 12 months ago, if she can hit the ground running, we haven't seen her in 2023 in the Queen Anne a flying dismount from de Torre, the crowd going bananas uh, after the opener that would obviously get us and de Torre off to the perfect start from a punting point of view though surely all de Torre's mounts are going to be somewhat over bet I mean that could equally apply to I mean I, I, I loved Manacan, the horse he rides in the king stand last week that's last night he, sort of nine to do five to one I thought well I can't, you can't back him at that price can you well this is the divide between uh, I suppose the, the 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 betting public at large and the so-called cognoscenti, isn't it, uh, of punting? Uh, yes, it's it's a fact that Dottori is hardly going to um, ride a horse over the five days that most people would consider value. People are going to latch onto him, and his pri the the prices of his horses are going to contract as a result. Does that mean that? You shouldn't back them? I don't think so. Manakan is a, is a real case in point, Nick. And again, I'm putting my Daily Mirror and Reach PLC hat on here. The, the juice has gone out of that sprinter's price. Totally. Right? It, it, he's a 9-2, to 5-1 shot, and he's a horse that thus far hasn't really been on the radar of people looking for the winners of Group 1 sprints. Mm. Uh, in his favour, he's got a very good record here at Ascot, two wins and a, um, a close-up handicap fifth 12 months ago. And he, he's also um, run really well at Newmarket on Guinea's Day in the Palace House Stakes. He's now contracted to 9-2, to 5-1. Now, I thought yesterday, do you want to tip the winner of the King Stand Stakes? And if and I've tipped Manikan, if he wins at five to one, I will be delighted because that would have paid for six uh, losers on the day, and I'll be close to the winning line for day one. So, uh, yes, in, uh, sorry, this is a, such a long-winded uh, response <laughs> to your question, but yeah, Dottori's horses will start at, in many cases, uh, falsely short prices. Do we care? Should we care? Probably not. Now you're a man who appreciates the finer sartorial things in life David and as such I know how much you'll appreciate the fact that our NLD podcast ride of the day each day 
This week is supported by Huntsman of Savile Row, who've been outfitting the kings and queens of Europe, Hollywood's leading lights, artists, designers, and men like yourself, the most sartoriously discerning ladies and gentlemen, for 171 years uh, and have a reputation for making the world's finest handcrafted clothes. Uh, what chances that two of the names on that list today will be more and Dottori fairly high, I would think. I would think so. Which leads me neatly on to the Coventry Stakes uh, and the first big Coolmore horse of the week, uh, River Tiber. Such an important horse for, for Ballydoyle and for the, the stallion operation, given that he's he's a two-year-old by Wooten Bassett in, in whom... John Magner has invested so heavily, you know, financially and emotionally. This is a this is a big runner for them. Make make no mistake. Absolutely, and it, it's not a horse's racecourse career to an extent that makes his stallion career. It's his stallion career to a large degree. Wooden Bassett on the racecourse would he have would he have been on our shortlist to be a superstar stallion? He wouldn't have been on mine. I'll be perfectly honest. But what he's done in his first few years at Stud. I suppose upgrade his mares. He's his stock has ridden exponentially year on year, hasn't it? To now, he's if he's not in the top bracket of stallions already, then he's certainly knocking on that door. And I think it's probably fair to say uh, he is uh, there already. Yeah, it, as there are going to be plenty of these during the week. River Tiber has uh, has been given this uh, tag of the the. The best juvenile. Yeah, he's the chosen one. Isn't he? He's the chosen had, one. You know, yeah. and uh, Aidan O'Brien has a record nine victories, I think, in the Coventry Stakes, and so it's all very well. People saying, "Ha ha, we heard this all before. We heard this all." Before. Yeah. yeah, and nine guess times what? He's been nine, right. Nine times. And one of them was like Rock of Gibraltar. It's not like you know. So yeah, it, the, the, these people who come out with the sort of the boy who cried wolf thing. It's like yeah, but the wolf did eat all the chickens, mate. So it's not. It's it's, uh, it's it's not something that uh, we should uh, cast aside and put in the bin. This is, I think, uh, for, for those people who have followed uh, Twitter over the last few days, this is an interesting one. It's been quite good um, value, this, hasn't it? it? Uh, Especially for, if you haven't got a dog in the fight. For it's those, been very entertaining. For those of us who retired from Twitter spats after about one or two, uh, three or four years ago, uh, it's been really interesting to see, uh, on one hand, Simon Rowland's time analyst um, get behind Azad and Johnny Deneen, the bookmaker turned professional punter, now columnist with the Racing Post, uh, side with River Tiber. Johnny said, I think, on a, a bookmaker podcast that, you know, I'm not really bothered about the, the facts and figures, that what the clock tells me, I do it by instinct, I do it by feel. Uh, Roland, Simon Rowland's hit back with a, you know, if, if you claim to be garnering all the information and you're not looking at times, you are making, sir, a false claim. So this escalation into a bit of a, a, a playground fight while the rest of us uh, stood around the ring and chanted the person the name of the person we wanted to win the fight it's now crystallized into <laughs> if if a sadna wins uh, then johnny Deneen can expect loads of pelters and if river tiber wins then course. the stones will be you going in simon you know, Rowland's we've direction seen, we've seen this movie before we've seen this movie before they might neither win well, what a way of launching yourself headlong into Ascot Week by bolstering your string courtesy of the top loss at the Goffs London sale. That's exactly what Neil Sands and his father Con did yesterday with their bronze sand racing. Give me the beat, boys. 1.1 million 
in the grounds of Kensington Palace. Uh, and Neil joins me now. As I said, Neil, that's a, that's a way to kind of enliven the beginning of your week. Uh, to what extent had you had you really pre premeditated yesterday? How long had it been in the planning? Hi Nick, thanks for having us. Um, yeah, look, we've had our eye on Give Me the Beat Boys for for quite a while now. We have other horses uh, with the Jessica Harrington team. And um, we knew that this was a very exciting prospect. We've been chatting to Con, previous owner, and um, we were very hopeful about the, the prospects at the sale. We knew that it was going to have really high attention. There was a lot of traffic, um, as Con shared with us, um, on the horse, and there was a, a number of bidders that were interested. So we were very happy, and um, we were very excited for today with the outcome. I was watching your social media feed last night, and you did seem to be absolutely buzzing. Uh, uh, having uh, having got the horse, uh, just tell me why why this week has come to mean quite so much to you and, and your dad and everyone involved with your your racing enterprise. Yeah, look, so it's um, it's my, my dad, Con, my brother Kevin, and my sister Irene are, are part of the, the principals for Bronson Racing. We're only in, I suppose, invested in the way that you see us now for the last two seasons. We're only in the first season of our own horse ownership. We've got about 60 horses in training. But we also have um, kind of a, a spectre of partners and uh, trainers and other owners that have been so uh, wonderful to us over the course of the last number of years who have kind of shepherded, uh, shepherded us to the position that we're in at the moment. So Ascot, look, it's a very important uh, day, it's a very important week in, in flat racing, but there's um, there's been a, a really good uh, year behind us and I think we've got very good prospects ahead. So we're, we're very excited about what's going to happen over the course of the next 24 hours. We've got runners as well uh, tomorrow and um, with Joseph O'Brien and um, yeah we're looking forward to that as well and where did the love in the Sands family initially come from for, for, for racing so I just heard this from, from dad yesterday dad was a big fan of the Lone Ranger and um, he, he was a fan of, of Toto and, uh, and the Lone Ranger and he said that there was um, you know it's been in him from a very young age we've had uh, the fortune of um, I suppose you know being around racing for most of our lives but I suppose we didn't take as uh, significant an interest in the ownership side until the last number of years um, but you know dad is I think half interested in racing but is a farmer at heart and much more interested in breeding and we've got a burgeoning um, opportunity on the breeding side that we We've, we've started off over the course of the last number of years as well so we're home breeding and we have a number of um, prospects hopefully in the course of the next number of years that, that you'll be seeing on the track so you as a family you understand the animals you understand animal husbandry you're in it right from the roots up to the up to the top from from your own in position uh, neil i mean you're your uh, chief experience officer at, at forbes you, you're based some of the time in in san francisco as well you understand luxury brands perhaps more than more than anybody who's 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 got an involvement in our industry how do you look upon uh, elite level horse racing you know either side of the atlantic as a as a going concern now yeah, I, and, and I don't think it's so much a luxury as it is an experience. Like when you when you talk to the folks that that have been in racing for generations, again, farmers and breeders. These are these are folks that spend time mucking out stalls. The days of Ascot with the with the top hat on and, and the high heels is you know it's it's a small event in the spectrum of what goes on in the year of somebody who's involved with with horses and, and horse racing and there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes like i think when i stand in the parade ring and i'm really fortunate to be there hopefully over the course of the next number of days when you see the grooms parading the horses that's that's their day as well and there's a number of people that we never hear tell of that 
plan um, the, the horse's year and for, for owners to stand in the ring it takes a huge village of people behind the scenes that do that and that's the experience of horse racing it's not ne- necessarily um, a luxury and certainly when you look at some of the, the newer entrants over the course of the last number of years that have got into racing none of them have come from you know huge backgrounds of, of affluence they just love the sport they love breeding and they're as, as I mentioned they're kind of farmers at heart so when you look at the experience of, of horse racing and the spectrum of people that it brings together Together, um, it's really a very, very special industry, um, and I think that there's a very bright future for it. And, and how hopeful are you, or how confident, should I say, are you of uh, any of your uh, group of horses passing the post in front this week? Nick, uh, I was speaking with um, Con yesterday, and there's just a certain part of horse racing where, you know, despite the very best trainers, and we have the best trainers in the world, I believe, in, in the um, in the cabal that, that we've included ourselves in, there's a part of this, as Con said, you shut your eyes and you cross your fingers, and I think we're going to be doing that for about the next 48 hours. Neil, thanks so much for your time this morning. All the very best this week. We appreciate you. Thanks, Nick. I like to think this is the only podcast with an official milliner. Uh, That official milliner you know is Lisa Tan, who knows as much about horse racing as she does about hats, i.e. an awful lot. That's quite flattering, Nick. (laughs) Well, I'm going to flatter you a bit more. Um, So I'm going to try and describe what I'm seeing. So it's obviously one of your um, hats. It is, yes. I would say it is... um, Bright yellow. It is. Sunshine yellow. Sunshine yellow. I was Matches gonna... your tie, funnily enough. It, you're spot on. It does. Sunshine yellow. Would it Now, the material, is it a, is it a, like a it's, straw? It's called parasitical straw. Right. It's straw, and then you have a, a kind of a, 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 ve- a veil. A veil, yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so I've got you're learning, with, I like this. Yes, with some small bows. It's, it's very beautiful. But you've got the, the top of your dress is yellow, and then you are technicolor. I, I look like a five-year-old who's learning about their primary colours and going to a birthday party. That's how I describe this. Uh, that is beautifully done. <laughs> Green, blue, pink, and set off with um, royal blue accessories, yes? Well, Godolphin blue, one Godolphin might Godolphin blue accessories. Mm. So who's the dress designer? Uh, an Australian designer. I've gone back to my roots called Leo Lin. Mm-hmm. So because you're a milliner... Mm. Do you start with the hat that you want to wear? Yes. And then, yeah. Because I don't want to have to make ones to match. I don't have time, unfortunately, to make things for myself anymore, so I use my samples and I try and find outfits to match, which is not the easiest, let me tell you. Now, so set the tone for 2023. What kind of vibe are you feeling? Celebratory. I think everyone's in a really excited mood this year because it's the first, I don't want to say it's the first year that's normal, in inverted commas, but it does feel like it's the first year that we've gone through this hell of the last however many years, come out the other side, the sun's finally out, the sun is finally out here, funnily enough, and everyone just wants to have a great time, the international forces are back, fashion is at the fore again, and I think everyone's just ready to have a great time. And so, do you think that it's going to inform people's people's outfits? I think so. I've seen a lot of colour this season and barely any black. Really? Not, That's good. Not that I'm opposed to black and white, because I mean, if you think about, you know, My Fair Lady and that beautiful opening scene in Monochrome, it's it's stunning to look at and it's so classic. But colour has been very much at the forefront of people's minds this year. A snapshot, mm-hmm. most most striking dress you've seen so far. I actually managed to evade everyone when I came in. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was running late to see you, so I haven't actually had a good look around yet, but I can see just across the paddock over there some very wonderful looking ladies in, as you can say, see the neon shade over there, lots of pinks, 
blues coming through as well and also there's this mustard yellow or as Michelle Yu termed it Verve Clico yellow Verve Clico yellow I like it so it's just through. a little darker it is it's but not quite a yellow ochre. and an orange yeah, yeah exactly okay yeah yeah, is that is that the kind of thing? I'm yeah. learning, aren't I? No, it's a very good description. There and in go. terms of hats this week, yes, um, are we expecting anything new, different? It's a, everyone is everyone is different. I think people are going for more this year. That's what I've noticed. Mm-hmm. Previous years, I've my my mainstay is a boater. I've always knocked out a million boaters, and this year I've Haven't done we all. two. <laughs> Well, you do. You are the proud recipient of one of my boaters, aren't you? I, I am, yeah. Um, but yes, everyone's wanted more complex, more beautiful, more intricate pieces this year, which is great because they're actually going for hats, real, true, spectacular hats, which again ties in with the celebratory mood. Okay. Are you going to come and see me each day? I am. I would love to come and see you each day and hopefully not get on a train that's been delayed. Fabulous. Lisa, it's great to see you. Relax into the first day. Thank you. Tomorrow we're going to talk about what you've seen today. Fantastic. Sounds awesome. Great. Lisa Tan. Our official milliner to the Nick Black Daily Podcast. Well, during this week, obviously, you are going to hear the word whirlpool more than once. It's a massive, massive week for this global pari mutual. Graham Cunningham spent a long time in Hong Kong, but has now spent a fair bit of time back on on home soil. Uh, Graham, from your perspective, why does Ascot matter so much to this enterprise? Hi, Nick. Hi, everyone. Uh, Ascot's a key partner in the Whirlpool along with the Hong Kong Jockey Club and has been for a long time and has recently I think signed a five-year extension to the deal uh, and Ascot is central to it because it provides world-class racing plenty of it not just five days of the Royal Meeting but King George Champions Day etc and the plans going forward are what are most exciting it's not what the Whirlpool is right now Nick it's what it may become probably will become in years to come an increase in the number of days strong plans in place to have all the world's best hundred races covered in the next couple of years and I was walking up the path from the station this morning and I saw a poster promoting the whirlpool and the strap line very simple very effective was bet small win big and absolutely that's true but it's about much more than that it's bet different it's bet quinella it's bet quinella place it's bet trio in years to come it'll be quartet and first four and the equivalent of the pick six. So it's all coming online gradually. For the moment, seven bets in place. Obviously, win, place, Quinella, Quinella place, two in the first three, trio, um, the treble, three selected races. So there are all sorts of variety. And as I said, it's not where it is now. It's where it will be in the next two or three years. And when you look at today's card, for example, a wonderful start to the meeting, how are principally Hong Kong betters going to approach today's card. That's very interesting. It's a little like here. Stars sell. So Ryan Moore, Frank Gattori, Godolphin, the Gosdens, their horses will be really well bet. And it's too simplistic to say that find a lesser known jockey or trainer and you'll get value. That is a little too simplistic. But to me, it's find a horse who is flying under the radar at a biggish price put him in the Quinella and try to find four, five, maybe six horses to go with him. I'll give you a very good example. It's tomorrow, Royal Hunt Cup, a horse I really like called Point Linus, mm-hmm. who's a horse who goes forward. He's in great form. I think he comes from the same race that Dark Shift won on his way to the Hunt Cup, drawn right against the stands rail, Tom Marquand is booked, and he, I think, will fly under the radar, and I will very gladly perm him with four, five, six others and we've got a lot of data now to tell you that the forecast in the whirlpool 
Quinella is not the equivalent pays tremendously well compared to the industry prices so I've I've shifted my betting in that way and rather than go with the shorties which are star horses the obvious ones I'm looking for horses who fly under the radar maybe Chindit and Mutter Sarbeck in the first race to go with modern games and or in spiral but it's thinking outside the box and it's 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 thinking strategically in order to try and get ahead of the pack and you said to me first thing you said to me as I walked in today was We've waited a long time for today. We have. We have. We've waited a long time. And every year, it seems to get more competitive. I look at the handicaps, and I love them. But an hour, 90 minutes, and you're only scratching the surface of them. And that's before we factor in the potential effects of pace, rain, any particular track bias, etc. But it's wonderful. And the key is, Nick, to try and get off to a good start at these festivals, as you know. Graham Cunningham there on the effect of Whirlpool. Uh, back here at Ascot, it is brightening. It's getting a little breezy as well, as you might just be able to hear. Uh, it was a little that way yesterday at the National Stud, which is where we sent our reporter Sam Cunningham. Because one horse who's really lit Ascot up over the years is Stradivarius, who's now enjoying a, a bit of a, a hit of a stud career, if the Book of Mayors he's covered is anything to go by at uh, Newmarket's celebrated venue. Uh, Sam went along to meet him and all the other stallions at the National Stud in the company of the director of Bloodstock, Joe Bradley. And they began with a, a son of Lope de Vega, who is earning a few rave reviews. Lope Fernandez retired to the National Stud here with you with winnings of £424,000 in 2022 after achieving Group 1 placings in four different countries over four sprint distances and a mile. He's had his first crop of foals this year. What are they like? We're, we're just so happy that um, what we sort of pitched to breeders, which was um, we're going to have foals of, of, of loads of quality, loads of bone, um, great walkers, and that's happened, and that's very satisfying to to see at this time of the year. Uh, we're getting out and about, looking at plenty of foals, and, and we're really happy. Uh, and everybody involved with the stallion and the partnership are, are delighted with how things are going. So he's just a really exciting horse to, to have. And now as we finish the breeding season, we're heading towards the sale season, and um, hopefully we'll be offering some of his best foals at the foal sales. If someone's looking for a stallion, what sort of mare would you recommend sending to Lopi Fernandez in terms of pedigree and also distance? I think he's a very versatile stallion. Um, being by Lupe de Vega, um, out of a Danzilli mare, he obviously offers the sort of best bloodlines available um, to any breeder. Um, he's a fantastic physical, um, he's got great size, he moves really well, and, and for a sprinter, um, he's probably offers a bit more. Um, range for breeders which I think is a, an exciting prospect to have um, he was an incredibly fast horse he was European champion sprinter um, so he really to be honest he's an attractive prospect for any breeder um, confirmation ways that he, he could uh, and does do well with any mare really How would you say Raja Singh for example compares to Lopi Fernandez? Uh, with Raja Singh, I mean, what you what you tell people before he comes out of the box is that he was he won the Coventry in the fastest time. He's by a stallion that's um, he was a, he was a, a globe trotting winner in Swaziere. He was obviously an incredibly fast horse at Royal Ascot, uh, and then he comes out of the box and his physical appearance really sort of suits that um, description that I've just said. 
he's a he's a bull of a horse he's very physically imposing he's got muscle in the very key areas of the shoulder and the hindquarters and um, he produces that in his foals he's had a great first crop last year uh, a number of winners this year so uh, he is really the best value stallion in the UK at the minute in terms of um, what he can produce and how he can upgrade his mares we We've just touched on the two-year-olds last year with 80% winners to runners. Have you seen an increase in interest since then? Absolutely. It's been really satisfying to see uh, and to see a stallion get a chance to um, have the mares that he really deserves. Um, His book has increased almost tenfold from the previous year. So we're really happy that um, going forward he'll have every chance then to continue on um, his first impressive strike rate. And how is Time Test performing at the moment? Uh, time Test is, is great at the minute. He's just covered his book. He's finished up for the year. Uh, at this time of the year, he gets some time to relax. And he's just heading off to New Zealand where he'll go to Little Avondale, cover a really strong book of mares out there again. Uh, and he's doing well in the, in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, we're really happy with how he's progressing. He's had plenty of winners this year. Uh, and and you know, very hopeful and confident that he's going to have a number of stakes performers heading into the summer, the key summer meet, uh, race meetings. So, um He's in great form. He's a really important horse for the National Stud. He's much loved and um, we're looking forward to seeing his progeny really progress from here. Obviously, another horse of great importance to the National Stud is Stradivarius, who needs very little introduction with seven Group 1 wins to his name. Um, The three-time Ascot Gold Cup winner is in his first year at Stud. How has he taken to his new duties? Uh, he, he's had a he's had a fantastic season. He's covered 120 mares, which we're we're really happy with. Uh, a great book of a variety of mares from five furlongs to a mile and a half. So it's going to be a very interesting pro- uh, process over the next year uh, and going into next year to see what sort of foals he produces. So we're really excited about that. Um, in terms of Strad himself, he's really happy. He's settled into to life here at the National Stud. Like I probably talked about it a lot over the last six months but a horse like him um, it brings a certain amount of publicity to the stud and I think it's, it's been great for the national stud and everybody's did a really good job this season um, but most importantly you know he's he settled into the routine uh, his new routine which obviously was very different to the life he had at John Gosden's um, we're looking at him now out in the paddock he's very happy he'll spend the next few months um, just relaxing uh, and recuperating ready for the for the next breeding season well the band has started up here at Royal Ascot which means we're getting a little closer to, to race time and the good news is that it's starting to brighten up quite a bit and even better news is that um, one of my favorite writers Alan Tyres has dropped by Alan for many years has been writing about sport and life I would I'd like to to say in the in the Daily Telegraph, Alan, how does how does Ascot Week work for you? Nick, it's great to see you. Thanks for having me. Um, well, uh, I was getting I was getting a taxi here, uh, and then the taxi didn't turn up. Had to get an Uber, and then they, they you know when they put the price up and they sort of re you know you can't get it, and then they redo it so that it becomes much more expensive. This is multiplied by five. Yeah, Your yeah. fare is now one hundred and seventy-two pounds. And I was sort of thinking, this is uh, outrageous. The excesses of capitalism. Then I was re- realised I was wearing a top hat. Uh, so I'm not sure you can really uh, rail against that. A, t- a top hat, a Daily Telegraph correspondent <laughs> railing against the capitalist excesses. Shouting at the back of an Uber. So that's how the week's begun, but every optimism that it will improve from here, I think. How do you go about covering a, a week like this? What's your normal starting point? 
Uh, I like to talk to as many people as possible. Uh, I like to poke my nose into interesting places like the world's poshest car park and things like that and <laughs> see who I can talk to and find out you know, what's going on around the sport, not just the racing, but the, uh, the activities and human stories around that as well. So this is, this is perfect really as, a, as an anthropological study, as much as it is uh, um, you know, your ability as a sports writer. It's the, it's, the, it's the best week of the year for sports writing, I think. It's, you know, you can come and there's all, everyone's all walks of life here. It's very interesting, lots of great stories, and yeah, I love it. And it, it's always struck me that you are someone who has a particular interest in the quirks of the, uh, I guess, the British class system, I suppose, yeah, or, or British society. I think that's true, yeah, thank you. That's, uh, I mean, it's a rich source of material, right? Both comic and tragic, I guess. So. And how do you think... A wider public still responds to Royal Ascot, if indeed a wider public does still respond to an event like Royal Ascot. Oh, that's a great question. I think the combination of top-class sport and royalty is a pretty winning one. People are interested in all those things. Um, be interesting to see what it's like this year without the late Queen. Um, so yeah. And from the paper's point of view, has it still got pull? Will there still be that picture of whoever it should be very glamorous on the front of the, of the yeah, Telegraph tomorrow? Yeah, I think there definitely will be. Yeah, yeah, that's what. Everyone likes to read and see that, right? Alan, it's always good to see you. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. I mean, David, just going back to, to your own your own attire today, I noticed that your your strides are just that little bit different from 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 most people's. I've got the probably quite traditional, some might say boring, sort of striped um, morning dress trousers on. Your Sporting something a bit a bit nattier. Very kind of you to notice uh, that, Nick. Unprompted. Um, interestingly, yeah, last year I was talking to Artie Watson, who had a pair of houndstooth check trousers on. I said, Artie, I like your strides. He said, uh, Yes, you have to be a prefect at Eton uh, to wear these trousers to Ascot. And he said he was actually flouting the rules because he wasn't a prefect at Eton. I went to uh, Pilgrim Upper, a comprehensive school that closed in the late 80s, so the first thing I did uh, on the Monday after Ascot last year was go out and buy a pair of houndstooth check trousers. You're by far the most distinguished person ever to have worn a, a pair of trousers like that. And how, how are the top hats going? Yeah, For those who've never, ever listened to the podcast, never seen you, never read your column and never watched you on any of your television appearances, they might not know that you you have a side hustle as a as a, as a t- Oh, you don't like that, do you? Well, side hustle is... is I'm not sure I would necessarily uh, refer to it that way. As a dealer of... A dealer. A mer- merchant is the, is the, is the noun uh, that I usually like to employ. And the, t- the old... The top hat man of old London town. Indeed. Although, sadly... No, not sadly, but uh, it, it's a, a matter of fact that my address has changed over the last uh, few weeks and I'm now the top hat man of, of uh, old East Sussex, which doesn't have quite the same ring to it. But, yeah, it's been pretty good uh, this year. Um, obviously... Uh, We've had, you know, it's funny, there was an interview in the, in the Telegraph many years ago and uh, the correspondent said that you can tell the health of the economy by uh, the strength of sales of antique silk top hats and most people who read that probably would have thought what a load of absolute nonsense mm. but it's pretty true, I'd say, this year a little bit down on uh, previous years but still uh, enough to uh, allow me to pay the baker on Friday. And how are you going to pay the baker this Friday? I'm going to pay the baker by backing Paddington uh, to win the St James's Palace Stakes. I think 
There's something really interesting about this horse uh, in that number eight on your race card. Um, obviously, it's it's a very unusual route to go from handicap victory to classic heroism. That's exactly what Paddington has done. He scored off a, a, a handicap mark of 97 uh, at Nace on his return. How his backers must stay that day must wish they'd had more on, by the way. Um, I suspect, like at Ballydoyle, there are, there are three yards. Is that right? There's an A, B and a C yard, roughly, where they, they divide. There's a pecking order anyway, or, or a, a perceived pecking order. And the, sometimes you get the odd derby winner and they'll say, oh, yeah, he's not in uh, yard A sort of thing. Now, my bet is that Paddington hasn't always been a resident of Yard A. Um, but the thing I like about this horse is that I suspect even those closest to him don't know how good he is. He went to the Curragh with plenty to prove. He beat Cairo by a couple of lengths with a relative minimum of fuss. And I suspect that there's a, a lot more uh, as yet untapped potential in Paddington. And that's where I'm going to go for And are you already writing the final tableau of her late majesty's life famously with paddington are you already writing that for the mirror royal ascot i'm sorry i haven't got a clue what you're talking about good excellent um david thank you very much thank you nick that brings to an end uh, day one of royal ascot tuesday june the 20th and of course tomorrow we'll be back to reflect upon all that when uh, lydia hislop will be joining me to put some good sense into into proceedings um, enjoy the first day enjoy the whole week it is brightening up a treat now uh, if you do enjoy this podcast please do give us a rating and a review you've been very generous to do so over the last few days don't forget to watch out for the huntsman ride of the day we'll be putting up the poll on social media a little bit later on and uh, we'll be announcing the winner of that on tomorrow's show that's all from us we'll see you tomorrow bye bye You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.